The sermon that I have prepared to deliver for you today is admittedly one that I intended to preach last Sunday, but as the old saying goes, uh, I was providentially hindered from being here. Uh, the rapid decline of my dad's health really just pushed everything aside, and to that end, I want to say how grateful I am to Scott Sullivan, my dear friend who stepped in and filled in for me just at the very last minute. That's a tough assignment to be given to anyone, and I know that he handled it gracefully, and I know he handled it well, but I am thankful for that. Uh, nevertheless, as I had the ability to go back and to look over all that I had studied and all that I had prepared uh, for this week, I realized that the Lord never makes mistakes. He's never early. He's never late. And therefore, I believe that the message that he gave me was actually intended for this day to be preached, even though he gave it to me earlier than this. You know, as I look back on the circumstances of my own life and all of our collective lives, in the recent weeks and months in which we have gone through with so many of us having to say goodbye to loved ones with the constant news that is pervading our, our screens of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that continues to go and all the sickness and death that comes from that. And then, and then this past week, the chaotic images from Washington, D.C. that filled our screens depicting for us the continued polarization and the deep divide that continues to occur within this country. What I know from my own personal experience and what I know from many conversations and prayers that I have shared with others is that in all the years that I have been in the ministry, I have never encountered a time in which there has been such an overall sense of sustained grief and trouble, and confusion, and worry as what I'm experiencing right now. Many are fearful. Others are angry. Some are antagonistic. And there are lots and lots of folks who are just sad, and they're just disheartened. And if I'm completely honest with you, I have experienced every single one of those things at one point or another, and I'm sure most of you have as well. The question is this. The question before every single one of us is this. What do we do? What do I do? As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what must I do? For those of us who are Christians whose testimony is that we have placed our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, those of us who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption, whose lives have been transformed by the wonderful grace and the mercy of God that we've just sang about. Those of us who have been set free from the power of sin and darkness and have been given forgiveness and freedom and life everlasting. Those of us who truly believe the scriptures which tell us that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus in light of all of those things which tell us that that. Everything we hold dear comes to us from God and from his merciful and bountiful hand. How then should we be affected? And how must we respond to the difficult times in which we find ourselves? Well, I would suggest to you that the first and very necessary thing that we must do is actually something that we must not do. 
That is, we must not disregard and sweep away the difficulties that we face as being inconsequential. We must not treat those things as though they do not exist and do not matter. Jesus Himself told us that in this world we will experience trouble. We will experience tribulation. These are words from our Master's own lips. The apostles Peter and Paul and James all write about the certainty of hardships and difficult times that will come upon us and will try us. The reality of Christianity is not a Pollyannish religion that refuses to acknowledge the troubles that we will all inevitably face. Sickness is real. Financial hardships are real. Broken marriages are real. Oppression is real. Abuse is real. Deception and manipulation is real. We cannot and we must not disregard the reality of these things and their effects upon us and those that we love as being inconsequential and unimportant. That's the first thing that I think as believers in the Lord Jesus we must not do, but we must not stop there. No. In light of the reality of troubling times, what must we must do what the saints throughout the ages have done. What Peter encourages us to do in 1 Peter 5 verse 7. He says we are to cast our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us. In the words of that old hymn that we have sung forever, we must take it to the Lord in prayer. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do in Philippians chapter 4. He tells us that we're not to be anxious about anything, but through prayer with thanksgiving and supplications, we are to make our requests known to God and that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the case that I'm making for you today. In the midst of what for many of us can only be described as troubling and difficult and uncertain and heartbreaking times, First of all, we do not disregard what we're experiencing and going through as irrelevant or inconsequential. And secondly, that we bring our anxieties and our requests and our troubles to the Lord Jesus who loves us, laid down his life for us that we might be saved and given life abundant and everlasting. And we affirm again and again and again that he is our only hope. We just sang about that. He is our only hope. And listen, He's not only our hope for heaven. He is our hope for today. He is our hope for right now. He is the hope that we need when our bodies need healing. He is the hope that we need when our relationships need mending. He is the hope that we need for protection against those who would seek to do us harm. He is the hope that we need to help us navigate through the difficult circumstances of life when we have absolutely no idea what to do next. He is the strength that we need to move forward when we have had to say goodbye to someone who loved us with all of their hearts and we love them. He is the hope that we need right now. As believers, we affirm that Jesus Christ 
is our only hope to meet every need that we have in this life and the life to come. And unashamedly, I want you to know that that is my goal this morning. My goal is to drive you to Jesus. My goal is to point you to the only one who is worthy of your worship and your allegiance and your affection. It is to to direct you to the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him despised, he endured the cross, despised the shame that went along with it, but then he is the one who has now been raised and seated at the right hand of the Father who intercedes on your behalf and on my behalf. And more than anything else today, I want to attract your attention, not to me, a weeping preacher who is struggling in his spirit to stand before you. I do not want your attention directed to me. I want your attention directed to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to recognize that your only hope for eternity is in him. He's your only hope for today as well. But even though I've just given you the goal of my sermon, I want you to hang with me for a little bit because I want us to consider some hard questions. In fact, I've entitled today's sermon, Hard Questions for Hard Times. I didn't know exactly how hard this was going to be when I first wrote it. As I've just laid out for you, we're facing some hard times. I don't have to explain all of them to you. I don't feel the need to stand before you and point to every single hard time that's out there. All you've got to do is to turn on your radio, turn on your TV, or look at the internet, and you will see all of the hard times that are facing every single one of us in this room. I am not disregarding it. But my hope and my goal this morning is not to point you to all of those hard times. You know what they are. But I do want you to know that when we face hard times, inevitably hard questions will come to our minds. And that's exactly what we need to think about. Beginning today, the Lord willing, over the next few weeks, I want us to move through a book of the Bible that I believe will help us consider what our response should be when we face difficult times like what we're facing right now. It's a book that will ultimately drive us to recognize and I believe embrace the faithfulness of God even when the circumstances that we face make absolutely no sense to us. I'll raise my hand and say, I don't understand all of the things that are going on. I can't make sense of all of them. And if you can, I'd love to sit down with you. Maybe you can explain it all to me. But I think all of us with humility have to, be, have to say without any reservation, I don't understand what all is going on. These are confusing times. They're difficult times. And sometimes they raise difficult questions in our minds. And I believe the prophet Habakkuk can help us with that. If you've got your Bibles, you haven't already made your way there, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. I would tell you, first of all, I'm going to tell you, that's the way I pronounce his name. You might have a different way of pronouncing it, and that's okay. I think this is as close as I'm going to get. It's Habakkuk. And I'll tell you, if you find him, you're going to probably find him over in that not-so-well-worn part of your Bibles. It's about five books back from the book of Matthew, and it's right there between uh, Nahum and Zephaniah. Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets. He's considered a minor prophet, not because what he said was minor. The minor prophets are considered minor just simply because the length of their books were shorter than the major prophets that we come along. 
but it in no way diminishes the message that they have. It was not, they didn't have minor messages and the major prophets have major messages. No, and I think as we work our way through Habakkuk, we will recognize that his, his message carried a tremendous amount of weight. Even now it carries weight some 2,700 plus years later. Habakkuk is a rather unique prophet. We know basically nothing about him. He spends no time in his book giving us any biographical information. He was not interested in providing us information about himself. That makes him unique. Really, other than the fact that we know he was a contemporary somewhat of Jeremiah and that he, he came during the time of, of the, the kingdom of Judah, Habakkuk is really an Old Testament man of mystery. We know basically nothing about him. He's also unique, though, in that what he wrote is not a proclamation from God so much, and, and it's really not a, a, a question being, it's not, it's not something that he's going to God on behalf of the people. Really, the book of Habakkuk is a man who questions God about God's ways. And that makes it a, a, an interesting and rather unique little book. Habakkuk's name literally means to embrace or to wrestle. And I want you to know, as we go through the book, we will begin to see that that's exactly what Habakkuk did. He wrestled with God. He wrestled with, with how God worked in his time. He wrestled with the things that he saw and with what he expected God to do, and God did something opposite of that. But his name also means to embrace. And, and those two words are very similar, to embrace and to wrestle. It means to have contact with. And I think by the time we get to the, book of, the end of the book of Habakkuk, you will recognize that he has completely embraced this God with whom he wrestled. I think you'll understand why he wrestled so much when we read some of this. But in that regard, I want to provide you with, this, with a disclaimer of the entire book right up front. Before we embark upon this journey together, I think this is something important that you ought to know. And that is that the study of the book of Habakkuk is not like it's not like watching a TV sitcom. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when I get a little down, I go to Andy Griffith. It just helps lighten my mood. It just does a little something for me. But you know, in Andy Griffith, it always starts out and a little bit of tension is introduced in the middle of the show and then by the end, everybody's laughing and joking and the tension is all resolved and everybody's back to happy again. That's not Habakkuk. It's not real life. Habakkuk wrestled with God. You and I will wrestle with God. Habakkuk asked questions that all of us have asked at one point or another, whether we would admit it or not. And here's the spoiler alert. Habakkuk didn't get the answers that he was looking for. In fact, God answers Habakkuk's question in a completely different way than he imagined that he would. And the answer that he got only confused and confounded the prophet even more. Habakkuk is a confused man in the middle of troubling times wondering what God is up to. Now, if that description in any way, shape, or form resonates with you, and what you and I should recognize is though he is separated from us chronologically by over 2,700 years and by half a world away geographically, you and I have an awful lot in common with this basically unknown Jewish prophet. 
So let's get into it and let's get our, at least get our feet wet this morning. I just want to read the first four verses just to kind of set the stage for our study. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1 says this, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. This is the way the book begins. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace to us. Thank you for the stability of knowing that we have a God who loves us in spite of the things that we're going through that your love reaches down to us in the midst of our deepest sorrow, our deepest confusion, the craziness that we experience that we have no idea what to make heads or tails of. We know that you are there and that you are solid ground upon which we can stand and that your word has been provided for us so that it might direct us to you. And my prayer is this morning that in everything else that I say and do today, that my testimony and my words will direct and point everyone listening to me, either through their computers or their TVs or right here in this room, that they will be pointed to Jesus Christ, our only hope. This is my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As we begin looking at this text, I, I want to point out to you the first words that are there. The New King James that I just read from says that this this book, that with this, what, what we have here in this little book of Habakkuk, he says this is a burden. <laughs> Other translations that you have out there show that it's an oracle. It's the same. It's the word, the, the Hebrew word that is translated oracle and burden. I, I like the word burden, and the reason why is because that word there represents something that is a load. It's a weight that must be borne up underneath. And so I, I think the burden is, is a good word for it. In other words, Habakkuk had been given the burden of seeing things according to the way that God sees things. Upon his shoulders was placed the weight of looking out at the circumstances which were visible to everyone at his time. It wasn't just he that saw it. it everyone saw the circumstances that the nation of Judah had gotten themselves into. But, but the burden that was placed upon Habakkuk was to begin to, was to help them understand it from God's perspective, not just their own perspective. Brothers and sisters, let me just say to you that that is a heavy burden. It is a burden that every prophet in Scripture faced. And quite frankly, it is a burden that every preacher who opens the Scripture and declares, thus saith the Word of God, faces as well. It is a divinely given burden and responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth and to cut it straight and to make sure that what you say lines up with what the scriptures say. 
And I want you to know that I sense that burden every single week that I stand before you. It is a divinely given burden of declaring the truth of God's inerrant scriptures, which tell us everything that we necessarily need to know about him who is the eternal God and the creator of heaven and earth. And it also tells us everything that we need to know about us who are his creation, who were created in his image and in his likeness, but we are fallen because of sin. And it tells us everything that we need to know about how God the Father has made a way to save us from the penalty of our sin through Jesus Christ, His Son. It is a burden, but it is a gracious burden. It is a blessed burden that God has given me, and it was a a gracious and blessed burden that was placed upon Habakkuk, though I'm not sure that he thought it was all that blessed and gracious at the time. Nevertheless, what we learn from that first verse alerts us to the weightiness of the subject matter that Habakkuk deals with in this book. It is his oracle. It is his burden. And in the next verses, we come to understand just how heavy the burden was and how confused Habakkuk became. You know what I picked up on on, on it as I read these verses for you. The God's people were in a mess. There's no other way to describe it. They were in a mess. They had once again turned from the Lord. They had given themselves completely uh, over to idolatry, sin and immorality and vice and injustice ran rampant throughout the nation of Judah. Those in the government were, they were careless. They were lethargic. The ones who applied the laws did so dishonestly. Justice was nowhere to be found. The nation was in shambles. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I mentioned earlier that Habakkuk was a confused man in the middle of troubling times, wondering what God is up to. Those hard times caused him to ask some very hard questions. And the first question that he asked comes there in verse 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. The first point that I've given you on your outline this morning is just simply this. The first question that Habakkuk asked was how long? And listen, when you ask a question, how long, you know what's behind that question? What's behind that question is it seems that God's never going to answer. You've come to him with these questions again and again and again, but it seems as though God will not answer. Habakkuk looked around at the situations and the circumstances that were going on around him, and he wanted to know, God, why are you inactive? Why are you not doing something? Are you even listening to my prayers? Do you hear me when I cry out to you? Can you relate to that? Have you been there? One person put it this way. He said, God sometimes appears to be like a policeman who sits on a park bench casually eating his lunch while I scream at him that a lady is being molested just a few feet away. How long must I cry out and yell and call to him and he will not act? That was Habakkuk's question. It's often our question too. I thought about some of the circumstances going on in the lives of people that I know. These are not made up. A godly father and a mother who pray for their wayward son 
He was raised in the church. He went to Sunday school. He knows the Bible. But when he left home, he left it all behind. And for many years, his father and mother have prayed for him. But he has rejected the faith and he has rejected them. A husband prays for his wife who has completely turned her back on him and decided that she no longer wants to be married to him. She has moved out and she's already begun a relationship with another man. She seems unreachable and divorce is imminent. A wife prays for her husband who has cancer. The treatments do not appear to be working and his health is deteriorating despite all of her prayers and the countless prayers of others. A man prays for his friend to respond to the message of the gospel. He has been faithful in sharing the good news and faithful to pray, but his friend continues to resist and he always just wants to change the subject. I want you to know every one of those examples are real and they could be supplemented by dozens and hundreds and thousands more. And when we encounter situations such as these, sometimes it feels as though God doesn't hear our prayers or if he does hear them, he simply refuses to answer. And often the question that bubbles up from inside of us is how long? The psalmist David voiced the same question. Like Habakkuk, David wanted to know how long. He, we looked at this psalm earlier when we were studying through the psalms and just we plan on going back to them, Lord willing. But we looked at Psalm 13 when we were going through there, and David asked this question, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Listen, the question how long is a question that presumes that God is inactive. It's a question that assumes that he will not answer our prayers. David had been there. Habakkuk was there. And my guess is that all of us have been there too. And the question of how long has rolled off of our tongues, if not just in our minds. And it's a question that's birthed out of frustration and confusion. And it's a question that inevitably leads to the second question that Habakkuk asks. Notice it there in verse 3. It's the second point on your outline. It's the question of why. Listen, that's a question that asks when it seems that God doesn't care. The first question, how long, is a question that indicates God's inaction. The second question of why indicates that God is indifferent. That He doesn't care about what's going on. It really comes back to that age-old question, if God is good, then why is there so much bad in the world? Does he not care about injustices? Does he not care about sicknesses? Does he not care about pain and suffering? Does he not care about the persecution that goes on? About the innocent being taken advantage of by the wicked? Does he not care about corruption? Does he not care that the wicked appear to be winning and the righteous always appear to be losing? Again, I refer you to the psalmist David who asked the same question in Psalm 10, verse 1. David says, why do you stand so far off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? One commentator put it this way. Habakkuk's concern was 
not only that his prayers went unanswered, but that the corruption that he saw going around him went unchecked. He wanted to know why. And to make matters worse, here's what we need to realize. We need to realize that this sorry scenario that Habakkuk described here in these opening verses, it was occurring not in some other country. He's not describing something taking place elsewhere. He's describing the situations and the circumstances that were going on in his own people, in his own country, among his own people. He's describing God's people, the people of Judah. And what Habakkuk could not get his mind wrapped around was that sin was abounding in the lives of God's own people and God seemed both idle and indifferent. Alistair Begg has put it this way. He said Habakkuk was trying to reconcile what he knew of the character and purpose of a good and powerful God with all that he saw going on around him. Consequently, he asked this, how can it possibly be that you, O God, are good and powerful and yet violence and immorality and chaos confronts us at every point? Perhaps that question has crossed your mind recently as well. And if so, I want you to understand that you are not alone. This is what Habakkuk wanted to know. Why God had let his people get this far gone. Why didn't he smash the idols down as soon as they were erected? Why didn't he, he, allow, why did he allow the false prophets to have such influence over the people? Why didn't he just avenge the injustices that were going on? Why didn't he put an end to the violence? Why allow the nation of Judah to just deteriorate into such a mess as it was? To Habakkuk, God's ways were mysterious and they were inscrutable and they were unknowable. They often are to you and to me as well. We do not understand why God does the things that he does in the way that he does them in the time frame that he chooses to operate. We don't understand why he heals some and not others. We don't understand why we pray our guts out for the salvation of a loved one whom we never see come to know the Lord. We don't understand why those who thumb their noses in the face of God continue to prosper while the faithful continue to suffer. How long, O oh Lord, Will you remain inactive and not answer our prayers? Why are you so indifferent, allowing such injustices and wrongs to continue? As I said, these are hard questions for hard times. We will have to wait until next week to see how God responds to Habakkuk. But I will go ahead and tell you this. It's not the response Habakkuk was expecting nor was it the response he was hoping for. As I mentioned in my introduction, the book of Habakkuk is not a sitcom. It's not a fairy tale that wraps up really nicely with a nice neat bow at the end and everybody smiles and we all laugh and rejoice. At least not yet. The truth about Habakkuk is, is that life here on earth is messy. Life here on earth is hard to comprehend, and it is anything but neat. The fact is, that may be the way many of you would describe this sermon. 
messy, anything but neat and hard to comprehend, and I would agree with you on that end. Honestly, I felt just like that. But as we wind things down today, I just want to give you a few observations that I think from this text that I hope, I hope will give you some encouragement as you grapple with this and as you chew on it and as you wrestle with the circumstances that you find yourself in. These are observations that I hope will stabilize us in the middle of what are very confusing times that we are going through. The first observation I would give you is simply that what we see happening in these verses is exactly what we talked about at the very beginning of this sermon. You see, what is obvious is that Habakkuk took the issues that he was having and the struggles that he was facing, and where did he go with the questions that he had? He took them to the Lord in prayer. That is obvious because he says how long. This was not his first time going to God in prayer. This was the result of many times going to the Lord in prayer and taking the struggles that he was facing and saying, God, do you see what is going on around us? Do you understand the things? I have no one else that I can turn to, but I am coming to you once again on my knees, begging and pleading for you to be involved in what's happening here. We cannot mistake the fact that Habakkuk recognized where his source of strength was. And it is evident in the fact that he continues time and time and time again to go to the Lord in prayer. Listen, if God is truly who he says he is, and if the scriptures are true about what they reveal, even though we sense frustration and confusion in our lives, It is to him that we must turn. That brings me to the second observation. It's this. If God is truly God, if he's the creator God, if he's the maker of everything seen and unseen, if he's the all-powerful God that nothing escapes him, then you and I must come back to understanding that he doesn't work on the same time frame that you and I work on. I said earlier, God is never early. He is never late. He is always on time. A.W. Tozer once wrote this. He said, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. We get bunched up and anxious God is never bunched up and anxious. And that means that whatever he does is right. Even though it may not appear to be right now. In God's time, he will prove himself and all his ways are absolutely perfect. That brings me to the third observation, which is this. When we find ourselves asking how long, we should remember what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Peter wrote there, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We should be reminded that God's delay is not laziness on his part. God's delay is long-suffering on his part. It is mercy on his part. It is patience on his part. It is kindness 
on his part. Habakkuk wanted to know when God was going to come thundering down on those who were thumbing their nose at him. But what Habakkuk didn't realize was that God was showing patience. And that leads to the question of why. Why would God be so patient? Why would he suffer so long with rebellious folks like that? Well, it's because his patience had the ultimate goal of their repentance. Brothers and sisters, you and I, if we have been redeemed and if we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light, then we are the beneficiaries of God's patience toward us. He has been long-suffering toward us. He has been merciful toward us. He has been kind toward us. And the only way that we have any hope of heaven is because of His kindness toward us. The Scriptures declare that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And through God's patience with us, we have been made right with Him through repentance and faith in His dear Son. And so therefore, when folks ask, why doesn't God do something? Our response should be, He has done something. He has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come bear the burden of our sin on Calvary's cross. He has made a way for lost men, women, boys and girls everywhere to be made right with Him. But we should not stop there. Because we should also tell those who ask what what God, why does He do something? We should not only tell them He has done something, but that He is doing something. He is showing patience and He is showing kindness to those who are far off so that they might come near. Romans 2, 4 says, Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Listen, God has done something. God is doing something. And listen, He will do something. One day, each of us will face the bar of God's judgment. As the Scriptures tell us, everything done or said in secret will be exposed. And there will be nothing and there will be no one who will escape the penetrating stare of him who is sovereign over all. And he will reign in truth and in justice. And on that day, my only hope and your only hope and the only hope for every single person who has ever drawn a breath in this life will be in Jesus Christ. And it's that that leads me to my sermon in the sentence this morning, which is this. What God has done, is doing, and will do through Jesus is the ultimate answer to the questions how long and why. We're going to be drawn to the questions how long and why in this life if we live it because it's messy and it never gets summed up really neatly. But I want you to know the ultimate answer to those questions is in Jesus Christ, the one who has come and the one who will reign forever. As you and I face the uncertainty of that which we are going through right now, having no idea how this year is going to come out any more than we could have understood a year ago today, how things were going to come out in 2020, I want you to know we can do so confidently that God is still on his throne and that he will care for us. And we can be confident that we, even when we don't understand all that he is doing, nor do we understand his timing, we can be assured that he is working all things together for the good of them who love the Lord to those who are called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, these are hard times and they are confusing times. 
And that causes hard questions to rise from within us. But we can have confidence that when we turn our eyes to the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who through the triumph of His resurrection and the glory of His ascension and the absolute certainty of His return gives us hope that assures us with His peace that passes all understanding. That is the burden placed upon me this morning. It is to point you confidently to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him as your Savior and as your Lord and lean upon Him for the strength that you need in these hours of trouble. All of your sorrows and all of your disappointments and all of your failures and all of your heartbreaks and all of your confusions can be brought under the all-embracing security of God's sovereign purpose. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. And it is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy and I thank you for the strength that you give in the hour of need. And I thank you for your love that you've demonstrated through Jesus Christ who has done everything that is necessary for our salvation, everything that is necessary for us to live confidently in this life in the midst of confusing and difficult times. My brothers and sisters and these who are here this morning are going through these times right alongside me and right alongside all the rest in this world. And Lord, it is my confident prayer, that if, confident hope and assurance that if we will turn our eyes toward you, that you will be the one who will defend us, you will save us, and you will carry us home forever. I thank you for that, and I thank you for that hope. In Christ's name, amen. I want to ask two questions before we leave this morning, and then with this we will close. I hadn't planned to even say it, but I'm going to. The question that's asked in this scripture of God is how long and why. But I want to turn those questions back to you this morning. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've never trusted in Him with all of your heart, how long will you wait? How long will you go on having the assurance that is there for you and yet not taking it? How long? Why? Why? Why would you push away the abundant mercy and grace that a benevolent, loving, heavenly Father extends to you? As you leave this place this morning, I want you to ponder those questions. How long? And why? And if your heart is burdened by God, then you need to get in touch with somebody. You need to talk to one of the pastors here at the church. You need to call the phone number that they're going to put online that you can call and dial and have someone call and pray with you. Because I want you to know eternity is way too long to spend not having the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers you. I thank you for being here this morning. I thank you for your love. I continue to ask for your prayers for me and my family as we go through these difficult days. Thank you so much.